May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Have they, uh, have they done that yet? All the kings? <laughs> nope, but they know, will. I, I, haven't, I haven't looked at the news in a couple days. Um, have they? Have the leaders of the earth kissed the sun yet? No, they're still raging in vain. <laughs> oh, they're still raging in vain. Okay, but uh, uh, he who sits in the heavens laughs, so we're all yes. right. We're all right. We're on the right side here. We are literally on the right side of history. We are. And uh, I hate it when people use that term. Yeah. Uh, because they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's like to <laughs> to scare you into submission. You don't be on the wrong. You don't want to be on the wrong side. Yeah. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna do something really horrible tonight. We're going to um, propagate all sorts of horrible myths about what it is to be a man, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna push the patriarchy and toxic masculinity. All this stuff. We're gonna be just heaping it on here. We are for our listeners. Uh, so I don't know, why did you get us started? This, I mean, and and uh, just talk about how this ties in with some of the stuff we've been talking about, courage and things like that. Yeah, well, you know, Dominion Podcast, the big, the thing we're aiming to do is help Christians learning to learn to live um, under the rule of Christ and to rule over creation in his name and to take up the uh, responsibility that he's given us as believers, as humans as Christians, as a church in this world, to reflect his glory to the world and um, to image him. And, you know, there are a few things more foundational to that outside of faith, hope, and love uh, than courage. Hmm. And um, we've talked about that in another podcast. But one thing I was thinking in recent weeks, and I look back on the last year and a half, and we've talked about how there was just a, a failure of courage, but I realized through several, well, through a lot of things, that there's just actually a cultural crisis of masculinity. And we know this. I mean, we, we've we seen this for years. Many people are talking about it. Yeah, even secular people. Have, oh, have, yeah. Jordan Peterson yeah. has had a huge influence on young men, really helping them. He's helped helped me a lot. And a lot of the secular media has kind of picked up on that. You know, what is it about you that these guys who are typically overlooked, why are these guys listening to three-hour conversations about philosophy and religion and the Bible? And it's somewhat of, he's a, there's a cultural anomaly, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But I think that he's filling the vacuum of a crisis in masculinity, a crisis of fatherhood, a crisis of good men. Mm-hmm. And you you throw that into a culture that's not only, it's not just an absence, there's a hostility. You know, terms like toxic masculinity, you know, the is it the American Psychological uh, Institute or Association, you know, running a, a journal on toxic masculinity and basically how to, you know, get children not to display typically masculine traits because they're bad. And, yeah. um, there's, there's a, man, there's such a schizophrenia with this though. Because yeah. in one sense, they want little boys to not be little boys. Yeah. You know, they don't want them to be hyper and, you know, punch each other and all the things that little boys are going to do. But then at the same time, there's this, push to make little girls as much like little boys as possible yeah. and adult women make them as much like men as possible yeah so it's like a it's a weird schizophrenia yeah and i don't know if it's um 
intentional on their part to just sort of close the gap between the two sexes yeah or if they just honestly can't see what they're doing yeah i think i mean there's probably a lot of reasons just in general uh in our unbelief we just rage against the image of god right and what there's there are a few things more foundational to the image of god than our gender and how that expresses itself. It's and one of the first things the that the devil attacked, right? Yeah. In the garden. Yes, exactly. We'll yeah. we'll talk about that. Just subverted their roles and responsibilities and got them to abdicate it and um and and you know, a result of the fall is animosity between the sexes, right. you know, that um Adam and Eve were there there was an animosity between them post the fall as part of the curse. And uh yeah, so we're just seeing that play out. And and positively, I mean, we need to speak to this because if we're going to take up our responsibilities to um, preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey all that God's commanded us, uh, part of what he commands is for us to be men. Hmm. And what happens when Jesus restores us and he saves us, he restores his image in us, he restores us as men, if we're men, and women, if, if we're women. And we need men to um, bear the weight of responsibility faithfully in the spheres he's given. In the family as fathers and husbands and in the church as pastors and members and at work as workers and wherever that is. And um, I think as so, so long as we fail in that, we're failing in our mission. Hmm. And so this this really struck me, and especially as I thought about the church's response in the last year, um, it just strikes me as not coincidental that we are going through a cultural crisis of masculinity at the same time that the church is totally caving on important issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I thought it'd be worth talking about you know what that is. What, I mean, we could start at Genesis that that masculinity, um, that a man and woman sex, and that masculinity is kind of the traits associated with that femininity and masculinity. The way that we express those things um, is is right in the beginning, Genesis one hmm. and two, that God created man and woman in the image of God, and He created a woman for man. He created a man, and everything was good. And then he created a man to put him in the garden. He said, not, not good. good. Not good. <laughs> not good. He's a lonely man. Not good. <laughs> don't, don't know what he's going to get himself into. <laughs> and we, and we, can, uh, we can affirm that it's just not good when men are alone, right? There's a great talk that uh, you can go listen to on YouTube. If you type in uh, Douglas Wilson, it's good to be a man. There's nice. A, a really great, uh, I, I'm not sure if it was a message at the church or not, but it's uh, 45 minutes that you'll enjoy thoroughly. Yeah. And one of his points is uh, it's uh, people get their back up when they hear you say something like it's good to be a man because mm-hmm. they assume you're going to say it's not good to be a woman. Yeah. But his point is it's good to be a man provided you're a man. Yeah. If it's good to be a woman provided that's how God made you yeah. as a woman. So, yeah. 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 So God creates man and woman and he gives them unique responsibilities and he tells the man to um, basically to cultivate and protect the garden. And uh, he gives the woman to be the man's helper. And then when they sin, we see a total kind of abdication of the man's responsibility. So, I mean, at this point, 
a helpful definition that I've heard for healthy biblical masculinity is this, you know, what does it mean to be a man beyond your biological sex is, you know, the joyful assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Mm. And I love that definition. You know, you, it's about bearing up under the responsibilities that the Lord's given you. It's about doing that joyfully, not resentfully, not with bitterness, not with uh, resentment. And it's to do it sacrificially, um, to lay your life down. Obviously, following the pattern of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm-hmm. And the husband ought to be um, the kind of man who lays his life down for his wife. And I would say men ought to be characterized by that in general in their life. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have a lot of those guys, guys who see it as yeah. their primary calling in life to die, you know? And we know this is tough because <laughs> this is the this is where the first sin came from, mm-hmm. right? If you read the account in uh, Genesis 3, it's pretty clear that Adam is standing there the whole time that yeah. he was being tempted. Yeah. He doesn't step in. No. He doesn't say, uh, actually, serpent, that's not what God said. Yeah. You're lying. Get yeah. away. Or... Even the fact that the serpent is addressing the woman primarily while the oh, man yeah. is standing there. Like this is a, the devil's attempt to overturn that order. Yeah. Right, um, right away. Like the, Satan's always going to go for that that image. But uh, we look at those roles and we see they're actually baked into the cake right from the beginning. Yeah. Like God, God gave the commandments to Adam about eating the fruit. Yeah. It was his job to tell them to Eve. Mm-hmm. God didn't tell them to Eve directly, mm-hmm. right? And this is a pattern we see uh, repeated in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? That a woman uh, should, if she has a question, should ask her husband. Yeah, and fathers train up your yeah. children in the discipline and structure. Of the yeah, and, and to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, sorry. Elders in the church. That's right. Yeah, yeah and, and not only was there a total, like he was present when that happened. He was abdicating his responsibility to protect his wife and... Uh, when she came to him, he just went along with it instead of taking, you know, initiative and instead of um, putting himself in the way of danger, he just let it come in. And then what's even worse, kind of at the lowest moment is when God comes and he asks where the man is. Well, the guy's hiding, Adam's (laughs) hiding Um, because that's how we all respond in our sin Mm -hmm. apart from God's grace. And then when God asks him, it's like, what's going on here? He says, she made me do it. The woman, you know. You you gave her to me. You gave her to me. And what's so insidious about this is that Adam knew that God said, whoever eats of the tree will die. And so he's essentially saying, I'd rather Eve die than me. So rather than him pick up his responsibility to lay his life down for his wife, lay his life down for his wife, he says, she's going to lay her life down for me. She's going to protect me. She's going to preserve my life at the expense of hers. So it's a total abdication of masculine responsibility. And uh, to be honest, this is just the pattern of men's sins. We're all born in Adam, and we all have the same proclivities. We run when we sin, we hide, we cover, we blame, and uh, we are, we're self-protectionistic. Mm. And what we need by the grace of God is a recovery of the gospel and the gospel as it relates to men. You Mm -hmm. know, we need a gospel that actually 
helps men stand up straight and helps men bear responsibility and helps produce loving, sacrificial, hard guys. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, there's definitely been an, an effeminization of Christ in the church over the last however many decades. I don't know exactly why that is. I think it's been centuries. I've heard people talk centuries? about this in the Victorian era. Right. I mean, uh, people have done studies. I forget who I was listening to, but they talked about church membership for the last couple hundred years has been about 60, 40 uh, female to male. Right. Pretty, pretty steadily. Yeah. And... Uh, Couple that with uh, clergy that uh, soft guys generally don't know how to do other stuff. Yeah, uh, but you know they're they're they maybe trained from a young age to go into that yeah. without getting any other skills first. Yeah, uh, then you you kind of have this recipe just waiting. Yeah, you have effeminate men in the pastorate, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I was actually thinking this week, man, Jesus was. Obviously, theologically, we know Jesus is the prototypical man. Mm-hmm. He is the best example of what a man ought to be and do. And he perfectly displayed this joyful willingness to take on sacrificial responsibility. I mean, we're thinking, I'm thinking Philippians, um, and I'm thinking Hebrews, you know, he for the joy set before him, mm-hmm. he, he endured the cross. And Philippians, he became obedient even to the point of death and... This is a man who um, joyfully, without resentment and envy and bitterness, bared up under the load and uh, did it out of his love for us. Yeah. And we need to recover this picture of Jesus as, as a man, you know, and with masculine virtues. And even the way that we do discourse, so many people in the church are... So many men don't act like men. They act like children and petty, resentful, bitter little boys. You know, we don't have manly discussion, you know, where it's just not about us, where it's not about our feelings, where it's not about Mm -hmm. our offendedness. It's not about our tone. It's just, it's it's about the truth. It's about the weight of the situation. It's about having the ability to, to just speak your mind without having to couch every sentence in qualifiers. Yeah. You know, just, and trusting that, that the people you, the men you're talking to aren't going to take it personally and just sort of parse what you say based yeah. on the truth. Yeah. 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 We, we have so many men, as Lewis would say, as men without chests, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. That when Lewis wrote that, it was at the uh, abolition of man. That was yeah. a long, that was what? Fifties. I think so. Yeah, so that was that's prophetic book, by the way. If you haven't read the Abolition of Man, yeah, yeah, that's that's I think his greatest. Yeah, his and greatest there was work. kind of you know the people who scoff at virtue mm-hmm. and that wonder why we have a traitor in our midst. And so even then, there was kind of you know a scorn poured out on virtue, and I would say uh, masculine virtues. Mm. And so I've noticed it this year, like the the level to which we become easily offended while at the same time being desperate to avoid giving offense for those whose approval we crave. Um, Pragmatic men do what works instead of principled men, you know, condemning others um, while absolutely refusing to be scrutinized by others, Uh, avoiding responsibility at all costs. 
responsibility for our words and our actions. Um, you know, talking about uh, having aversion to aggressive language, so to speak. I mean, the crazy thing about this, when I hear Christians say stuff like this, like, have you read the Bible? Yeah, like was- Jesus, Jesus was just not a fun guy to be around, <laughs> but he was the best. Like he was perfect. He was sinless. He was God. Yeah. But he made you uncomfortable. Um, I just think of some of those like mic drop moments, you know, Mark uh, 12, 24, uh, when the Sadducees are questioning him about resurrection. Oh, yeah. And he just uh, says, uh, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> and then at the end he says, you are quite wrong. No, you're just wrong. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I see I see what you're saying. You could possibly blah, blah, blah. No, you're just wrong. It's like telling Sidney Crosby, like, isn't the reason you just lost the game because you suck at hockey? <laughs> <laughs> like telling the scribes that they don't know the scriptures. It's yeah. like, that's their thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's so much of that in the Gospels. Yeah. Like, he's very confrontational. I I always love... Uh, reading the John the Baptist narratives, like mm-hmm. there, when I think of a man in the Bible, I think of Ezekiel and John the Baptist. Yeah, you just these guys that do the right thing. Yeah, pretty much all the time. Yeah, and like they they don't really have that. Like, yeah, that pragmatism. They don't have the pragmatism. No, they're just like, okay, God told me to, uh, you know, do this. I got to go do this. Yeah, right, and not worried about well. Uh, well, what's Herod going to think if I call him out on his marriage? Yeah. And keep in mind, John the Baptist, Jesus said, was the most righteous man before yeah. the kingdom of God. That's right. And he greatest, was, He's the greatest Old greatest. Testament saint. Yeah. yeah. And he was beheaded because he called the magistrate on out on his <laughs> immorality yep. publicly. Mm-hmm. And most pastors today would actually criticize him. Like, yeah, that's, Why are you getting involved the, in that's politics? That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You're, or or you're being um, you're not making setting a good witness. You're being mm. unsubmissive. You're not being respectful. You're not being winsome. Yeah, you're not being winsome. But I just found that I just find that kind of attitude is totally dominant. It's totally cowardly. The irony of with it too is it's a legalism because it's setting up an extra biblical law by which you judge all interactions, mm. right? And and it's it's a law that actually would condemn the sinless Son of God and the yeah. most righteous saint in the old covenant. That's uh, a problem. But here's the thing: like we wouldn't we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't think being winsome is a bad thing. Like no. I think when Paul's talking to like Felix and Festus and those guys, he's being pretty winsome. Yeah, uh, it's not a bad thing to do that. But he he never had to make excuses for himself, right? So I think people who make those arguments are generally just making excuses. Yeah. And I know I've done that before. You, you're like, ah, I don't like that guy's tone. But deep down inside, it's like, I just don't like how blunt and truthful that was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's true. But did you have to say it like that? Yeah. It, well, yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but as men, we need to learn to receive that. Mm-hmm. Right? And tell the difference between, of course, there is malicious bullying, um, you know, kind of domineering, meant to just keep your, 
Or people that are intending to stir up. Yeah, or that, there are like, uh, totally bad motives that the scripture warns us against. Quarrelsome, um, eager to be in a fight, this kind of thing, divisive. But uh, we a lot of our temperaments just are not shaped by the scripture. Mm. And we don't have a very godly or manly view of how to interact with people. Right. And we're just easily offended, fragile little boys. Yeah, and it's something struck me as you were just giving that list, like div- divisiveness. Um, those that's talking about the heart motive. Yeah, not the outcome of what you say. No, exactly. So I mean, the truth does divide people. Yeah, doctrine does divide people. Yeah, calling out Herod for you know having his sister's wife divides people. Yeah, and it, you know it divided his head from his body. Mm-hmm. Um, most importantly, right. but. Uh, that that wasn't his intention. He wasn't mm-hmm. doing it to be divisive. Just mm-hmm. like Paul wouldn't stand up before Festus and say something to be divisive. Mm-hmm. It just does divide. That's yeah. just natural. Yeah. Um, so I think that those are talking about the motives of the person. Like, are you are you trying to divide? Are you uh, like the like the people that were preaching Christ to try and get Paul in more trouble? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, you know. If I look at the landscape, that's just been one of the biggest things I've seen. Is that I look at a lot of the leadership, but we're talking about the political leadership too. I mean, this guy, the you know, coming out and saying like, "Yeah, I totally would, I totally would veto veto any bill that would seek to protect uh, girls, basically from gender um, selected abortion." Yeah, and then at the and you know, one sentence later, saying, "But I'm pro life." Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm a conservative, so yeah, it's just, it's just, I just it, would never like well, what principles are you ruling on? Well, it's a, it, again, it's a total abdication, it's yeah. actually your life for mine instead of my life for yours, right? And there's just so few men, so few men, so few fathers, and then even when men do stand up and do speak up, the world just hates them, the world just including other men, because apart from the grace of God, you know how weak. Cowardly men feel threatened and bitter and then resentful. And we need to put those things to death. Mm-hmm. And we need to say, look, the feeling of responsibility and conviction I have isn't something I need to perceive as a threat. It's actually a grace to me. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, through Christ, I can be forgiven. I can be transformed. I can be helped and healed, matured, strengthened. But petty, vindictive little boys can only think about how someone else threatens them, hmm. you know? They can only think about, oh, how does this make me look? And uh, men just don't think that way. Hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know what we're going to do about it, Jeremy. Well, we're going to read our Bibles. <laughs> yeah. We're going to pray. Yeah. And uh, when we fail at this stuff, we're going to... Uh, apologize to our wives and get back on the horse and yeah keep going yeah and i mean that's that is the key that true manliness and true masculinity is rooted in christ i mean christ is the alpha male you know he is he is in in every in the realest sense yeah and Um, omega the alpha the alpha and the omega (laughs) and uh if we want to be strong men you know hard men soft hearts and we need to be uh guys who are known Mm. by the shepherd and know the shepherd and in his word and 
have our views and opinions shaped by scripture mm-hmm. and not just the culture around us. I think a big part of this too is honestly the prioritization of the academy in the pastorate. And um as a bad thing. And youth. Oh yeah. 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 Youth in the academy because youth a lot of churches look for like young people because there's no young people then you get you know the classic oh you'll be a youth pastor for three years and then you'll be a pastor pastor and when you grow out of your goatee yeah you you just get you get immaturity you get kind of peter pan syndrome yeah but then in the academy the academy is filled with a lot of soft guys um who are there because it's a safe place to land with not a lot of heavy lifting and there's some really, obviously there's lots of amazing men in the academy. It's not like you have to be that way. But it's it's a safe, protected space that it's, you're insulated from a lot of the things uh, that could be really helpful in developing masculine traits. Hmm. And that's why I tell, I mean, our guys who are even training for ministry, I'm like, well, get a job. Yeah. Like, be married, have kids. Build something with your hands. Yeah, build something with your hands and... And uh, I heard a, I guess it's kind of a damning quote from Al Mohler. Um, somebody had asked him one time uh, about seminaries and their, their usefulness or their necessity. And he said something along the lines of, if the churches did their jobs, we would be out of a job. There, yeah. there would be no seminaries. You know, basically saying the job of training up pastors should be the job of the local church. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And I think seminaries can come along to, sup- to supplement that. For example, right. like Dr. someone like Gentry, who's a linguistic expert, he, you know, only four people in the world could oversee his PhD. An average pastor can't lead that kind of academic training. And you mm-hmm. need you need that in the church. You need those guys who have a level of academic and scholarship uh, capabilities, scholarly capabilities, that they can do work that we need, but you don't need a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but I could see an institution existing to help support their research and for them to train other men who will do that and women. Mm-hmm. But not many people will do that. The majority of people in the pastorate should be trained within the church. Yeah, and you're trained by the pastor who's shepherding you. Yeah. And you're you're seeing the example as you're, as you're studying, as you're going through yeah. theology and all that sort of stuff, and you're and you're suffering. I mean, mm. it's just not good to be uh, in school with not a whole lot of responsibility in an artificial environment. Uh, probably as a single person and to come out and take control of a church, like Paul tells Timothy, you should manage his household well, and he should keep his children submissive. Because how can you manage God's house, which is His family, mm-hmm. if you can't manage yours? And it's like. Why would someone who's never even been married know how to manage the household of God? Like it's we're not to pick men based on potential. It's proven faithfulness. And uh yeah, so a lot of these things we've got backwards in the church for a long time and the result of it is we just don't have a lot of mature manly men. Hmm. And then you know what happens? People who are men just don't like coming. Like And I've heard that used as the reason why there's that uh, gender difference in the well, church. Well, perpetuates it. The 60-40 thing, right? No, oh, this is, you know. This too, is for women. Yeah. And uh, guys, it's something that guys wouldn't really even articulate a lot of them, but you just feel it. Yeah. You just go into a room and you're like, ah, 
I feel comfortable here or I just don't feel comfortable here. Yeah, but I think we're seeing now I know like when I when I saw videos of uh Pastor Coates preaching the week before he got jailed. Yeah. Like I got fired up. Oh yeah. I'm like, this is a man. This is a man. And then <laughs> you know, seeing the other guys stand. Uh, or seeing MacArthur when when they finally uh, opened back up and he you know they planted their flag in the ground and uh, seeing him like that was so inspiring to me yeah like okay this these are men yeah and men want to follow that yeah or they should want to follow yeah. that yeah we need examples yeah yeah I was so encouraged by that well who are some guys who are some men that have encouraged you to be men James Coates he really encouraged me this mm-hmm. year um, J Mac as well. Trying to think of my life. I mean, my I mean, dad. The elders at, at my church, like yeah. they're all in different ways inspiring to me. Yeah. And not just the elders. I mean, there's all sorts of godly men in yeah. the assembly that are an inspiration. So. Yeah. Yeah. My my dad, I wrote about him this week because C.R. Wiley wrote oh, yeah. a, a post saying um, the Apostle Paul was a blue, was a blue collar intellectual. And which, which I agree with, mm-hmm. um, he worked with his hands and it just inspired this kind of meditation of my own dad and my dad, I called my dad the blue collar scholar mm-hmm. because he was in construction. He grew up in construction. His dad was in construction. So he grew up doing that kind of the family business, did his own thing for a while. Um, but he also had a side to him that was very curious and intellectual. I mean, he loved Francis Schaeffer. Mm-hmm. He read a lot of the Western classics. He went to seminary Calvin for a semester and decided it wasn't for him, but his whole life was a pursuit of knowledge and um, a desire to teach people. He became a teacher later in life. And he's an amazing guy because he, I mean, he was a blue collar dude. Like my dad was just a dude. Like he got up in the morning, he had a cigarette in the bathroom and like he just- <laughs> While he a, was shaving? Yeah, <laughs> whatever he's doing. And he just, like he was a dude, dude. There's nothing soft about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I feel, I feel super soft compared to my dad. Like he just cut from a different cloth. But he was also a guy who like his buddy called him up, who's a doctor and he's like, hey, we have a doctor's conference this weekend, you know, speaker drop day. Can you give a talk on bioethics? My dad's like, sure, you know, this blue collar guy yeah. gave a talk on, you know, medical ethics to a group of doctors. And uh, some guy afterwards, their dad's having a smoke and I was like, where'd you do your PhD? <laughs> it's like, nope. I'm, uh, <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> and he was just that Wrong. kind of guy. Or, or, you know, university students would come to our church and he'd bring them home for lunch. And um, even a man, Ben from England, told my family even recently that dad was so helpful to him. He just sat and listened to him and his questions and doubts. And Mm. he was a very patient guy, but he, my dad had admiration for, he told a story about this guy who, when my dad was overseeing as a supervisor, a bunch of houses in Calgary, and they used to put stones in the basement, gravel, and sometimes you had to do it by hand or whatever. Well, you always did it by hand until the gravel thrower. But he remember looking in the pit and this, I think as Italian guy with these buckets of gravel, he was moving. And if you lifted buckets of gravel, it's like yeah. the heaviest thing you could lift. And uh, something happened where my dad got a phone call or something 
or some something happened and the guy looked up out of the hole at my dad while my dad's looking at him and the guy said, man, I'm sure glad I don't have your job. And my dad's sitting there looking at him being like, I feel like you have the worst job you could possibly yeah. <laughs> have. But my dad's story, his, his point in that story is to say, God's given us all gifts and abilities yeah. and they're just of equal value and worth. And there was nothing pretentious about my dad. So I feel... I could go on and on and on, but a big reason I feel that I am the way I am is 100% my dad. He was a dude. He taught me to defend my ideas. He said, you know, there was no problem having a conversation. We didn't shirk back from disagreement in our home, and we we had a responsibility to know what we believed and be able to defend it. And uh, there, he was a very affectionate man too. Hmm. But yeah, without a doubt, my dad was the biggest influence in that. And it's it's sad. I mean, he he passed away and there just are not a lot of guys like that in the church, you know? Mm-hmm. And even me, I'm I I feel like I need to grow so much as a man. You guys have more older men in your church. We don't have a lot. Yeah. Um, we got a couple and they're great guys, godly men. But we need we need you to pray. Do, you want to do some trades? We could, yeah. we could uh, get the... Yeah, we'll do a draft. We'll set up a draft <laughs> some Saturday morning. Like, we're looking for some uh, maturity. Who's, who's got some youthful energy? Got any 70-year-old electricians? Uh, <laughs> trade for a 30-year-old barista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no offense to baristas. By yeah, the way. no yeah. offense. Shout out to Matthew Matthew. That's right, my, <laughs> my boy. Make him, make him my grande, uh, my grande lattes. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot we could say, but we just need we need God's grace. We need God's mm. help. We need to pray that He raises up men. We need to pray that He gives grace for us to act like men, mm-hmm. as the Scripture tells us to. And uh, even when the world yeah. hates men. And by the way, this isn't just a church problem. So no. I got into the trades later in life. I'm over 40 now. And it wasn't until after 30 that I got into a trade. Yeah. Working with my hands. And I was always, you know, into fixing things and, you know, good at, good at like, you know, smaller mechanical jobs, that sort of thing. But never, ever throughout my entire life, through all of my schooling, did anybody ever suggest getting a job where you work with your hands that you didn't have to go to college? That's for? a great point. Like there was shop class for the retards. You that's know, that's exactly what everybody what was, called them. Yes. Like the guys, the guys in, in, in the wood shop. Yeah. It's like, yeah, those guys probably left high school and made some money, made more money than you'll ever imagine. Oh, yeah. Just building stuff. Right. Yeah. And so <laughs> that is a great point. Yeah. It's like, well, I, you know, I was always, it's not to, I just learned to be good with my hands later. I you know, I trained myself later, but we're all, some people are just born with that. Yeah. And we need to encourage that. If you see, you know, a young boy that's taking stuff apart and. Yeah. Well, I wish, I wish we got into this earlier, but that that's a huge thing. The public school, our whole education system prioritizes women. This is a known thing that boys do not do well in school. Boys are not, men are not going to university. The way that we teach is not geared towards boys. It's geared towards girls. The majority of teachers are women. Um, we don't have a lot of male teachers. And this causes huge problems. I remember that in high school. The vibe is like, you should take academic because academic is for is for 
you know, successful, good people. Yeah, do you want a good job? You got to go to university. If you have to go down to apply, you can. And uh, we don't even talk about the guys in shop class. Whereas it's like, okay, so I spent seven years frittering away while my brother was, you know, getting a great job and a great trade and a skill that he'll have his entire life yep. making more money in his first year than I did in my first 10 yep. kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I know like, guys that, you know, got into plumbing right when they left high school. I've met them yeah. since I've been in the trades. You know, they're 24. They've got a huge house. Yeah. They bought with cash. You yeah. know, it's like, all right, so. Yeah. Maybe the the uh, degree in feminist dance theory yeah. uh, is not... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why you Maybe still that's have why. a student loan. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all, it's all guys. But, like the, guy, yeah. the guidance counselor who was saying that and all of the teachers, they went to university. All they did is go to high school and then university and all they know is university. Yeah. And they're like, well, this is what you got to do. You but can't be like, fulfilled if you're just building stuff all day or yeah. like, you know, installing drain pipes and toilets yeah. like that's how are you going to be fulfilled with that yeah well i'll tell you what you sleep better that's for sure yeah absolutely yeah yeah well maybe that's what i need to do <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you building something we'll it's got to be in your blood something. right <laughs> isn't that it's got to be in your blood you know what when i was working construction last summer i slept really well oh yeah yeah well i want to read this poem for our uh good portion of the segment keeping in line with the theme of the podcast i think it's one we've read before but it's one that we one that we expect all of our listeners to memorize actually it's by charles mckay and it's called no enemies you have no enemies you say alas my friend the boast is poor he who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes if you have none small is the work that you have done You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the fight. That's a good one. Yeah. We were talking about this beforehand. And again, the distinction between motive and outcome. Yeah. If, uh, if what, would, what did Jesus say? Don't, ex- it, a servant is not, greater than his master. Yes. They hated me and he was perfect. Yeah. Jesus was perfect. He always had the right tone. He always said the right thing and yeah. they still hated him. Uh, and he was always perfect, fighting. You're going to have to learn motives. how to fight. Yeah. So we can't look at the outcome of the things we say and, and use that to determine whether or not we did the right thing. Yeah. Or not. It's like, okay, uh, I'm getting a lot of backlash from this. Well, that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe you did, but it doesn't necessarily mean you did. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the beautiful portion. It was beautiful. And so you're telling me I got to memorize that? <laughs> I got I got other stuff I should be memorizing. Yeah, store it up in your heart, Charles McKay. <laughs> no, I'll start with the Psalms. <laughs> I should be memorizing Psalm 19. That's, that's a good one. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, uh, and I didn't really prepare anything for the good segment, but Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah. It's not a tough read or a long read. Uh, it's, it's just it, uh, it really penetrates the, the issue. And funny enough, I mean, it's 60, 70 years old now, mm-hmm. and it's still dead on with so where timely. we're at. So timely. So uh, timely. 
uh, we've talked about Schaefer in the past and how it seems like he could have written this yesterday. Yeah, it's like that with Abolition of Man. So here's yeah. here's one quote for the ab- from the Abolition of Man, and uh, kind of apropos to where we're at today. What we call man's power over nature turns out to be a power exercised by some men over other men with nature as its instrument. Hmm. That kind of sums up a lot of his argument in the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Anywho, oh, I got to stop saying anywho. I say that too much, way too much. You know, when you hear yourself talking, like, <laughs> how many times did I say, uh? <laughs> It's been great being with you here on Dominion Podcast, episode 13. Until next time, I'm Jeremy. I'm Alex. 